and uh, you're trying to rely on God and trust Him. And that's a lot about what Jonah's like. Jonah had an opportunity to trust God, and yet he didn't. You know, God sent him, wanted to send him somewhere, and he refused. You know, one of the main points in our first lesson was, uh, you know, rebellion is simply saying no to God, whether it's a nice no or a, an angry no. It's rebellion. And that puts us in this awkward position of for God, who loves us tremendously, and God loves us enough to bring us back to Him. So, God sent this storm and was trying to get Jonah back to Him, and there's this miracle of Him, him being captured by a fish, as we're going to see in the Scriptures in Jonah chapter 2. If you can turn your Bibles with me there, we're going to be reading from that text today. And really, he goes from a fisher of men to being fish bait. What an extraordinary turn of events where he's this prophet of God, yet he runs and then he gets swallowed by a fish because God really wants him to change his heart around. And so Jonah is is convinced that God wants him back. So in verse 17 of chapter uh, chapter 1, which is going to be the last two, two uh, verses there, it says, And then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. What an awful experience that must have been for Jonah. The only thing close I can relate to being in the belly of a fish is being in the belly of an MRI. You ever been in an MRI where the tube is surrounding you and they, and they, they cart you in and they give you this little button to say, if you panic, just press this little button and I'm going to come running out. Okay, That's a lie. They don't come running out. They go, what's the problem? I'm scared. Okay, just calm down. But I want out of here. Oh, we can't do that right now. We're in the middle of the 22 minutes in. We need to, you know. I want out of here. I mean, I was in the belly of the fish. And I didn't know I was claustrophobic until I went into an MRI machine. I thought it was just fine. I thought strange people had claustrophobia. Now I'm one of the strange ones. And I'm in there. And I've had to get two of those done. And to be there for 35 minutes in that little tube. And you, 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 your mind goes everywhere. Your mind's like, if there was an earthquake in my house and I got buried, I would just, how do you even live under rubble? You know, how do you live? I mean, it's, it's scary. So being in a fish, you can imagine being enveloped. You can imagine the fear. But you can also understand his downward spiral. He was getting more and more worse spiritually. And we, he runs from God, and God wants him back. And it's just a miraculous story of God wanting to him to change his heart for people that he does not like. Jonah did not like the Ninevites. He had a deep bitterness toward them and racial tension toward them. Didn't want to help them. And it's amazing the contrast that God has with the human hearts. God wants to rescue all people. We want to rescue only those that we like. That's our nature. And it's just a story of a great miracle that God loves us enough to bring us back to Him when we're rebellious ourselves. He'll bring a storm, not to punish, but to restore you. But do we realize that it's God's love that He's trying to get us back to? Or just do we, do, do we just grow more rebellious? Do we get more hard when God's trying to shake us up? And some might say, well, 
That's mean of God to give us a storm. I present to you, it's not meanness, it's mercy. God is being merciful. When Jonah was thrown off the boat, he thought his life was over. He thought he was dead. And God brought a fish to rescue him. And that fish vomits him on dry land. It's amazing. Because God is a God who is relentless in His pursuit of us. He does not stop. He does not stop thinking about you. He doesn't stop watching you, looking over you. He's relentless. Especially when we're rebellious. So here we have Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Saying, I, you know, obviously he's reflecting back and telling you the story of his prayer here. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, or the pit. I cried, and you heard my voice. Out of all the places in the Bible where people prayed, this has to be the most unusual place. Yeah. It just goes to show you there is not a, a terrible place to pray. You can pray in your closets. You can go on a hill. You can pray when, when your kids are throwing Nerf footballs around you. You can still pray. There is not a bad place to pray and ask God when you're desperate. And Jonah was a desperate person. It's funny how we pray to God when we're most desperate. When we're desperate, man, we are on our knees. There's no problem being humble when desperation hits. You know, it reminds me of Psalm 34, verse 6, when David himself was desperate. He says, referring to himself, this poor man called. He was a king. This poor man, he, he's a king, but he goes, I'm a poor man. And the Lord heard me. He saved him out of his trouble. Think about Hannah. She was desperate to have a child. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. You know, God restored David and God gave Hannah a son. Jeremiah, when he was preaching to the, to the Jerusalem leadership and the king, who would not listen, he says, The waters closed over my head, and I thought it was about to perish. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pits. He heard my plea, Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You know, they wanted to get rid of Jeremiah because he was telling the king something he didn't want to hear. Also reminds me of Jesus. Reminds me of Elsie. In her anguish, in his anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweats became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Even Jesus was desperate. In the epistle of James, the brother of Jesus says, Hey, is anyone among you in trouble? Yes, let him pray. It's a good thing to do when you're desperate. It's a good thing to do when you feel you've lost all hope. It's a good thing to do. Pray. And if you're happy, you should sing. But, you know, watch your audience, though. I try to sing in our car, and my children lovingly say, Who sings that? Oh, this person? Let him sing it. That's great. A lot of people are willing to obey God up to a point where it hits their core. Like going to church, reading your Bible, it's exciting. And then something happens, like, oh my gosh, I got my feelings hurt. And it hits your core, and you're like, oh, this reminds me of when I was a 7th grader. Sally hurt me. 
And then we go back to this place, and we, and we almost revert in our response to going forward. We run. We leave. And you, the reason why you run and you leave is because you think it's safer by running. And in most physical cases, it's true. You run out of a burning building. You run out of your house when there's an earthquake. That's what my brother does. You, you, you do things. You run away from a stranger, stranger danger. But spiritually, the reason why we run is because something in our core was, it, it hurt, it, it really hit there. And so we leave. And we stop obeying God. We don't want restoration. We don't want to heal. Sometimes it has to do with our, the way we handle our finances. We run. You know, money has a thing about, it changes how we think about life. We start putting our, our security and meaning in our jobs and, our, and who we are and, our, and what, we, what we earn or what we make. And so we stop obeying God. We stop, hold, we hold back because it hurts. You know, one of the great needs of every child, your children in particular, they're not going to be fulfilled in music, in social media, or in sports. Their fulfillment is going to come in their relationship with God that's to come, and you're the parent are helping them develop that. And also, their peer relationships. See, you as a parent, if you're lacking in your relationship with God, you're unable to give them what God really looks like. And if you're lacking in, in peer spiritual relationships, guess what? Your children are going to be lacking too. It's two things they need. They need to know that God is it. God is number one. And also, that their friends, their peers are spiritual enough to go, hey, let me help you. Isn't that what we get in church? We get friends that go, hey, you're a little off, on the, you're a little off there. You might want to get back over here. Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. Good job. And we get that friendship. It's exactly what we need. It's exactly what parents need. You know, we have a daddy-daughter dance coming up. Exciting. It doesn't matter how old your daughter is. She could be 30, and she's still your daughter. She could be 50, and she is still your daughter. And they long for that time with dad. I don't care how old they are. They just have that moment with dad. This is one of those moments. This is one of those memories that you as a dad can build with your daughter. That's why I, I, I love these events because you should be inviting other fathers who are all about work, who are all about other things. Teach them to say, hey, let's get your daughter and you at a, at a dinner dance and help your friends. You know, I've been going to school and I've been sharing about the daddy-daughter dance with all the dads. They're like, hey, this is pretty cool. Sign up. This is awesome. And not one dad says, I reject spending time with my daughter. No, and they want to spend time with their daughter. They just need an event to go to. This is the event to take them to. Let's continue. Verse 3. So Jonah prays. For you cast me into the deep. He's referring to God. Put him where he's at, into the deep. Into the heart of the seas. And the floods surrounded me. All of your waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Did Jonah feel like he'd been forgotten by God? Yes. Had God forgotten Jonah? No. And some of you may feel like God has forgotten you. You're in the heart of the sea. The flood has surrounded you. Do what Jonah did. Cry out to God. 
You know, I love Elsie sharing. I was like, man, she runs and she took around. She's like, I'm going to cry out to God. Catholic Church, I Dios mío, ayúdame. You know, I can just imagine the, the screaming, the tears, the, the pain. And God responds when our heart is in anguish, as you saw earlier. You know, God works through our choices. He works through no matter what. Like He worked through the sailors on that boat to throw them over to the sea. God was allowing in the current moment, us to make our own decisions, but yet He's already providing His will and it's being done. God always works through our choices, whether they're good or whether they're bad. God is going to work through them. And that's a powerful thing. And then He says in verse 4, after He says, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And there in His prayer time, while He's praying to God, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a glimmer of hope when he remembers the temple. He remembers Jerusalem. He remembers worshiping God. He remembers his quiet times. He remembers reading about God. He remembers when you're in anguish and you're praying and you're hurting. Remember what God has done. Remember the good things he's done in your life. When you're going through a very bad moment in your life. Jonah's world was collapsing. But he could still see that God was in control. When your life's collapsing and you're hurting, know that God is still in control. He says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. You know, I used to love going to the ocean. And going to the beach when I was younger. I used to have a boogie board and had flippers. I looked pretty cool out there. I went to, even went to Hawaii and did it. And then one, one day, you know, I was pretty good on the three foot, three foot, four foot waves. I was a master. But then like a nine foot wave came. And you, you know when you're caught, like the wave's going to break. I can't, I'm, I can't get there to dive under. But if I try to run, I'm, it's going to land right on me. So you're in that little, and there, you, nothing but fear just paralyzes you. So you're going, I, I'm not, if I try to die, it's just going to crush me. If I try to run, it's gonna, you can't run fast enough out of the water. So what I did was nothing. <laughs> and I stood there, and the wave hit me. And for like 30 seconds, you feel like you're in a washing machine. You ever, if you know that? Yeah. You know, and I can hold my breath for like a minute and a half. That's not a problem at 17 years old. It's not a problem. But I, could, I felt like I could barely hold my breath for two seconds. And so I inhaled underwater. And when you ever, if you're ever inhaled underwater, you get a lot of water and you, you just suck it all in. And then I realize, I'm spitting it out, I'm realizing underwater that if I don't get out of the situation, I'm dead. And I felt this sense of, my time has come. It's been a good run. 17 years. <laughs> and you feel this hopelessness. Like, I, I can't control my body because I'm in the water, so I can't touch the ground. I'm stuck, and I'm being, I'm being held underwater by the wave, and it's force of the wave, and I'm just stuck there. So somehow I floated to the top, and I was gasping and struggling, and the lifeguard man came out. I grabbed his little red buoy, and he's told me in 
And then, a little dramatic, you know, I could have swam out, but, you know, might as well be dramatic. <laughs> so he gets out. He doesn't do CPR because I was breathing. And then I sold my gear. I sold my boogie board, my Mach 77, sold my flippers at a garage sale. I said, that's, that's enough for me. It's good. It's good. I haven't been back since. I bought my kids a boogie board and says, oh, you can try it. Sure, go ahead. Knock yourself out. There are three things that, from the story of Jonah, there are three things that we can learn about repentance from Jonah. Number one, we can learn this. Repentance comes when we realize we are in despair. When I, when I came out of the water, my repentance was, I'm not going back. I'm not doing that again. When I was a, a college student that was going to parties and drinking and, and the appearance of having a great time, filling my, my soul with alcohol and, and, and women and, and socializing, thinking that, that my identity, my who I am was in soccer and girls and college. But really I was just completely in despair. I didn't, I didn't know how to, how, to, how, to, how to touch into that inner depth of loneliness. I didn't know what that meant. So I thought it was just friends. Keep hanging out. Keep going. And over time, I was in despair. Having my girlfriend and I go into a, uh, a, a, an abortion clinic and, and having that procedure done put me in despair. Realizing I had crossed the line. And that's where Jonah felt. I felt I had no hope. There's no redemption. There's nothing. You can find yourself there. You know, a job loss can put you in despair right away. Yeah. I mean, that's in- instant despair. Your source of income gets dried up, boom, despair. Your marriage is eroding or has been eroding, and now it's, you realize it's destroyed, despair. When you realize that your dreams that you've had for years have never come true, you're disappointed, despair. My uncle Rolando went to the doctor a few months ago, not feeling well, stage 4 cancer. Just a simple doctor visit creates despair. He's dying. He doesn't want to see me. Because I'm a Christian. And he knows what I'll try to do. And he's right to assume that. I will try. Everyone got to see him but me. Now he's too weak. So I just called him on the phone all the time. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? And my prayer was for him to invite me in. So far he hasn't. But thank you for your prayers. You feel a little joy in life. Maybe you start eating more. Maybe you turn on Netflix and disappear for seven seasons. <laughs> Come on now. We've, some of us have done that. I've done that. Just one more show. Just one more. Soon in the morning, one more. I've got to find out what happens. And your eyes are like, I've got to know. Maybe you just, you just want to be on the internet. You just want to surf the internet and read articles and just spend hours on the internet. People do that. 
Maybe it's too much pleasure and food and alcohol. And you realize, man, I'm giving in to more temptation now than ever before. And the reason is for that. The reason why people do that is because their soul is starving for God. It's starving. And so when it's starving, you're susceptible to different kinds of pleasures. Or seven seasons on Netflix. I mean, it's there. The inability to say no to things like lust and pornography or alcohol or a flirtatious relationship with a co-worker. It comes from being out of fellowship with God. That's where it comes from. Maybe it's envy that's eating you up. Maybe you look around and you see other people have other stuff and why isn't God blessing me? Why does he always get a job when he loses a job and not me? Sometimes it's just God's really loud and dramatic. And sometimes he's really quiet and gentle. He just gives us a little warning. But know this life without God, there is no hope. It crumbles like a sandcastle. And it's gone forever. Yet Jonah says, you brought my life from the pit Oh Lord my God. You see, Jonah felt there was no hope. There was nothing. And in verse 7 he says this, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. What's interesting to me is that Jonah is celebrating deliverance while he's still in the belly. He's got, I remember you and your prayers, how awesome it was, as he is in despair in the belly. That's what prayer does. You know what some of us do? We're in the belly. Why is God doing this to me? And we just bare knuckle it. And we get angry. And we get quiet. And we don't answer phones. And we don't run text messages. And we get off Facebook and say, I will isolate myself until God responds. Then I'll come out and be a Christian again. We can learn from Jonah is actually while you're in the belly, while you're in the suffering, look toward his temple. Find him. It changes your whole perspective. When I was in the MRI, the only thing that kept me from just destroying the machine by just physical sheer panic was I had to, I had to close my eyes and imagine that I was on Oxnard Beach praying in one of my quiet times. I used to go out there for my quiet times and I would pray and there would be nothing around me. I would just be praying. And for 35 minutes... That was the only thing in my picture in my mind was me standing on the beach. Because if I opened my eye and realized that thing was right there, I'd freak out. <laughs> so I had to remember something that gave me peace. That gave me a moment to go, oh, that, that's a safe feeling. While I was in the belly of the MRI machine. <laughs> if you've ever been in one, you, you don't, you're going to feel me later. And God will put you in the belly of a fish, so to speak, from time to time in your walk with Him. He's trying to teach you and build your character to persevere. It's a test of perseverance to get you to come back to Him because you've drifted away and He wants you back. And David says this in Psalm 31 verse 6. I'll read it to you. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. For me, I trust in the Lord. Because Jonah says this, 
And his prayer says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. This concept of idolatry is very simple. It is you. It is a, the one thing or two things or three things that we trust more and we put above God. We trust more. We crave more. We desire more than God. It becomes idolatry. Very simple concept. And God is saying, listen, Jonah, my desire is to help the Ninevites, not just Israel. Because God knows that His people of Israel have done the same thing. They've been idolatrous too. But Jonah doesn't see that. He doesn't want to see that. That's why prophets rose up to teach the people, get away from the idols. That was one of his main jobs. But yet he didn't want to help the Ninevites. Jonah was a prophet, yet he had idolatry in his own life. He thought it would be better to disobey and hold on to things he loved rather than to obey God. He valued what he loved. He valued his life. He valued his identity. He valued his his racial hatred. He valued himself more than God and that's why he was running. And now he realizes that it kept him from the one great source of life and that was God. And that's what he had in his prayer in the belly. He's like, God was my source. What have I been doing? Repentance, number two, comes from not only despair, but recognizing the futility of idolatry. When you realize, not when Geo says, tells you something, but when you yourself realize it has been futile to put this thing before God, when you realize that, your repentance comes. It doesn't just come when the preacher says something. You have to realize it for yourself. You got to see it for yourself. You got to see it real life up in front. What it's done to your marriage. What it's done to your to your finances. What it's done to your walk with God. When you realize that, you go, "Wait a minute. I'm going to change that around." When you love something more than God. When you trust someone or something more than God. You know in the garden of Eden, Started there. She wanted that tree. It looked really good. So that, you know, good good knowledge of good and evil. God's holding back on you. And she trusted the serpent. And she trusted the fruit and what it would bring. It was just idolatry. She put something and he put something before God. What is it in your life that you give so much weight to? That it comes before God. You may not even realize you're being idolatrous. But in many cases, we just are. We just don't realize it because we, we, put, we worship God, but yet we have our idol. That's exactly what the Israelites did. But they had little statues. We have walk with God, and then we put our children right there. We put our marriage. We put our job. before God. It's very easy to do. It's not hard. It sounds logical too. Gotta put food on the table. We had this brother in our ministry that was having challenges coming to 
Sunday church because he had a job that worked on Sunday. So, me as a good Christian brother says, you need to put God first before your job. And you need to tell your employer that, hey, I'm not working Sundays. And he was, oh, wasn't too sure about that. So we had another talk. Say, how's it going? Read in Matthew, Matthew, Matthew 6. God will bless you when you put Him first. God always does that. He responds. He's like, you're right. You're doing it now. That's what you said last time too. I had to say that. Yeah, it's, he's like, okay, but I'm doing it. I said, okay, trust God. Goes to his employer. Can't work Sundays. Well, hey, no, no one gets Sundays off. Here my two, here's my two-week notice. Uh, let's give you Sundays off. And let's pretend you didn't give me that paper. And let's have a nice day. Just like that. The response was immediate. You know, the fear is, you're going to lose your job, lose your income, i got to pay rent, i got to pay food. That's the fear. It's a lot of fear. So when he says, hey, don't worry. Seek the kingdom first. And I'll take care of the rest. He really, mean, he really meant what he said. He meant it. If you put me first, I'll take care of the rest. So why don't you tithe? Because you believe he's not going to do it. I have numbers of stories I can tell you. Plenty of stories. But do you trust it? Do you give till it hurts? Sacrificially. What is your idol? Is it money? That's a cheesy idol. It will never bring you happiness. It's a neutral product. It's for transactions. Yeah, I'm listening to Dave Ramsey on the radio now. He's like rebuking me every, every time I listen to him. I, sometimes I just turn him off because I don't feel like getting rebuked today. I'm like, I'm not going to turn him off today. I mean, he says some of the most blatant things that are almost borderline offensive. But they're in the Bible. Money's not your problem, Gio. Your behavior is. Oh, snap. Take it easy. Take it easy. He didn't say, Gio, I just inserted my name. It's your behavior that's the problem. It's always the behavior. Money is neutral. I'm like, oh. So... Should I buy a new car when my car breaks down? If you have the money in the bank. Well, why not just get a $200 car loan and have a new car and be safe? Debt is sin. Ouch, I hurt. So I don't get a new car? If you have the money in the bank. Okay, so no. I don't get a new car. (laughs) And these are some of the things that I'm like, i got to teach my kids this. This is important stuff. Gio, do you want to have a $30,000 debt? Or no debt? No debt. Can I buy a car? If you have the money in the bank. But what if I pay it on credit and get a good interest rate? Buy your car when you have money in the bank to do so. See, my behavior resists that. Gotta have two cars. Got two kids. Got soccer matches. We got games to go to. We have a life, Mr. Ramsey. 
live a life. So then I turned off the radio and then I went on YouTube. Maybe it's a little, he's a little gentler on YouTube. <laughs> it was worse because I'm actually staring at him. He's looking right at the camera. Well, this is not as good. I'm gonna, I'll go back to the radio. <laughs> at least I don't have to look at the guy. Very challenging. Very challenging. Can you live without your idol? Can you live your life without your idol and make God number one? Can you do that? I think you can. If you're in the belly, pray. Realize that the the idolatry has got you confused. It's messed you up. In verse 9 he says, But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you that I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's when repentance comes. When we realize that salvation comes from the Lord. Three kinds of people on earth. Irreligious, religious, and disciples. Christians. The irreligious people don't believe they need salvation. You share your faith, I don't need it, I don't want it, not interested. You get that sometimes when you go share your faith. I'm not it, I don't want it. Two, the religious believe salvation belongs to themselves. I have a personal wish for God. I accepted the Lord Jesus in my heart. I like the music. I'm going to go where I feel comfortable. I have to have appropriate music, appropriate building, an appropriate environment. I have to feel this way to walk with God, the religious. Then there are the disciples, the followers of Jesus. People that says, life's going to suck. But I'm going to love Jesus. That's the disciples. They understand that life is not fair. Life is rough. It ain't going to go my way. The church is going to stink sometimes. But I love the Lord because salvation comes from the Lord. That's the disciple who says, oh, we're meeting at school? Sweet. Because salvation comes from the Lord. (laughs) Oh, we got a little screen in the PowerPoint? Nice. Good stuff. Salvation comes from the Lord. Right? Fifteen people came late to church? I'm going to pray for them. Because salvation comes from the Lord. Right? That's the disciple attitude. He's accepted the fact that my life on earth will be miserable, I'll suffer, there'll be moments of glory, but most of all, it's going to stink. Because heaven is not on earth. Heaven is up there, and that's where I'm going, and that's where I want to go, because that's the goal. Too many people, we want heaven on earth. We want heaven now. We want ice cream in the freezer all the time. (laughs) It better be there when I walk over. Those kids better not have eaten my double malted crunch. Heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. And we have those moments. We want our life to be totally like a movie. Guess what? You paid money to be in a, to watch a movie. You paid money to watch Make Believe. That's why we love the movies. It takes out of the realization that our life is terrible. That's why we go there for two hours of going, life ain't all that bad. That's why we do it. You've got to realize, disciples, and those of you who want to be disciples, it's not about yourself and my, what I like. It's about 
Salvation comes from the Lord. You know, they met in caves in the first century. They're running from their lives in the first century. People are telling on them and they're getting killed and their, and their houses and their property is being confiscated because they know that salvation comes from the Lord. Sometimes you can't even give yourself to people. I want to encourage you to give your stuff away when you can. Give it away. Stop going on craziness to make a buck. Just give it away. That's what I do. I just give it to charity. I just give it. I could sell it, but I'm just going to give it. I have an extra fridge. You can have it. I've done that. You should do it. I do it to fight the idolatry. I do it to fight my nature. It's easy to make a buck in this country. Go on Craigslist. Just buy things you want. No. Just give it away. We got a campus household. I went in there the other day. There's nothing in there. I mean, it's like, whoa, it's bare bones. One brother doesn't even have a bed. They got nothing. They don't even have a vacuum or a broom. So I'm calling all the disciples. Let's rally around this house. It just started. It just started. They're in there like two weeks. It just started. So they need some stuff. If you got any spare stuff, we'll send you an email. They're looking for donations. It's awesome. Here's what changes your heart. Here's what we call grace. If you give a gift to a child who is rebellious, say your child, he's rebellious and hateful, but you still take care of them, they are an undeserving recipient, but you're still an obligated giver. That's my son, right? Or your son, or your son, your daughter. On the other hand, if you got together and gave a small group leader a gift of appreciation just because you love them, that might be an unobligated gift but they are still a deserving recipient because they're sacrificing. It's when both are true. Like when you have a neighbor who is an absolute jerk. He's rude. He calls the cops on you. He puts his leaves in your lawn. But you take care of him when he's sick. That's an unobligated giver to an undeserving recipient. And that experience right there, what it creates in your heart... When you're on the receiving end, humility to turn to God, confidence to pray to God, and grace to love other people. But Jonah doesn't get that. He comes out of the belly of the fish, surrendered, but he still hates the Ninevites. And he's still bitter at God. He will obey because he doesn't want to go back into the belly of the fish. But he's not going to be happy about doing God's will. There comes a point in your walk with God where you start to actually love like God loves. And you start doing things because God does them. And you can read the book of Jonah in two ways. One, it's about you right now. You're Jonah. Go. Go into the world. You're Jonah. You're the prophet. Go. Or two, Jesus is Jonah and you're Nineveh. Being in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus, he was Jonah, and you were Nineveh. You were objects of wrath. You were the Gentile sinner. You were the unclean people. You were the God-haters. Jonah is Jesus. So if you see yourself in Jonah, be warned. And worship God. And in verse 10, it says, The Lord spoke to the fish... 
and had vomited Jonah out upon dry land. In a wild display of sovereignty, Jonah gets a new beginning. God wants a new beginning for you too. Question, have you surrendered? Has God brought you to a point of despair? That's where repentance comes from. Has your heart changed? Do you love God? Do you love the Ninevites? Do you have passion for God and others? I want you to do two things the remainder of this year. Share the gospel with people. Share your faith. Share your life with people. Not just invite them to church. Share your life with people. Get involved in their life. Number two, get involved in a Bible study with someone. Two things. Get in their life. Get in people's lives. And then number two, study the Bible with people. Just get in. If you hear someone study the Bible, get in that study. Make them kick you out. Say, no, we already got 12. It's weird. Back off. Right? Let them kick you out. Okay. Try and try. Number three, help the campus household out. All right, love you guys. See you guys next week.